Hey, it's good to have kids with us this morning for Christmas time. And uh, just so enjoyed having the kids up here up front. And you guys enjoy that, you know? And uh, <laughs> I just redo the whole thing. Uh, no, people are a little bit crazy at Christmas. Have you guys noticed that? Uh, you go out on the traffic and, man, you see people jockeying for position and fighting for uh, spaces, for parking spaces. It, it's really crazy. And, and when you, on Black Friday, you always see a video of people fighting it out over some gift that they wanted at the last minute. And, two and, and with all of that, I wonder, whatever happened to Joy to the World, Silent Light, Holy Night, Sleep in Heavenly Peace, whatever happened to that? And it makes me wonder, sometimes, do we really remember what this is all about? And I'm not talking about just a mental awareness that this is Christmas and it's the season. I'm talking about really understanding the true message of Christmas. Not just a baby in a manger, but what that baby in the manger actually means to us and what difference that makes in our lives and how we live every day. Someone years ago coined this phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. And I've received Christmas cards with that on it, and it's on bumper stickers and sweatshirts, and Jesus is the reason for the season. And I think that that is a a very wonderful saying, and it does kind of remind us the reason. But I think when you get down to it, it's not really the true reason for the season. And when you really think about it, you and I are the reason for the season. If it hadn't been for our sin, if it hadn't been for our need for grace, Christ would have never come. And that leads us to our passage that we've been using all December, and that is in Galatians chapter 4, where Paul writes a letter to a church in a city called Galatia. And he writes these words in chapter 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Jesus came because of our need. And the scripture says that he came to redeem us and give us adoption, full rights as his children. We're the reason that that Savior was born in Bethlehem. We're the reason that God promised the Messiah. We're the reason that God gives the gift of hope and grace that makes such a difference in our lives. And what I want to do today is just look at those verses in Galatians chapter 4, and I want to see two key doctrines that we hold dear as Christians. And the first one is that Jesus Christ came to redeem us. Galatians says he came to redeem those under the law. Now, the law he's referring to is the Old Testament law, and in particular, the Ten Commandments. And to understand this idea of redemption, we have to have some understanding of the law and why we needed redemption in the first place. God gave us the law, first of all, to convict us of sin. God gave us the Ten Commandments so that we would be aware of our sin. He wanted us to realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. He wanted us to understand our need for cleansing. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious or aware of our sin. I remember in college, we played a game called Death Ball. It was a game we just made up, and it started with, uh, in our dorm room, two guys on a team. Two on one bed, two on the other bed. 
And we had a football that we would throw, and it started with just tossing the football to each other. It eventually ended up in us wrapping the football in duct tape, writing death ball on the outside of the ball. And the basic game became that you throw the ball as hard as you can at these friends that you love. And you hit them anywhere except in their face. If they catch it, that's fine. If they don't catch it, it's a dog pile on the ground to see who comes up with it. And whoever comes up with it, you just can't throw it while you're standing. You have to be seated, and you can throw it again. Needless to say, it's a total guy game. I have no idea why we ever played that game, but it was a total guy game. Now, my roommate never played, but when we played this game, it got so intense and so competitive, and we fought so hard that the, the temperature in the room really went pretty high. And there we, we were sweating, and we did not smell good. And I remember my roommate more than one time, Chris, would come into the room, and he'd be like, oh, my goodness, you guys stink. It is terrible in here. And we didn't even recognize our own smell, right? Because we were just involved in the game, and uh, we didn't even notice. And friends, I believe that sometimes we need somebody else to tell us, hey, you need to be cleansed. And spiritually speaking, sometimes we get so used to the stench of sin that we hardly notice it anymore. And so God gave us the law to convict us of sin, to remind us our need, to, to demonstrate that compared to the law, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Phillips paraphrases Romans 3.20 by saying the straight edge of the law shows us how crooked we really are. The second principle of the law is that it was there to condemn us. And that goes a step further. The law was there not only to reveal our sinfulness, it was also there to put us on notice that there is a penalty for that sin, to make us aware that we are separated from God and sentenced to hell. You know, some people uh, think that on, that on the surface that God is going to jo- judge us according to our good deeds. That somehow he's like Santa Claus up in heaven, determining who is naughty or nice, reading the list, checking it twice, and if your your nice deeds are better than your naughty deeds, and you have more of those, then somehow God is going to show you favor. But God is not like that. God is not a school teacher that gives a passing grade for 75% of goodness. He's more like an inspector in an, in an excellent company that immediately discards anything that has a flaw. Heaven is a perfect place for perfect people who have perfectly followed the law. And that is, if by observing the law you could be uh, good enough, that means you'd have to be 100% perfect, no defects. This is the reason we needed to, needed to be, uh, have a redeemer, because none of us are perfect in our own right. Galatians 3.10 reads, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the books of the law. In other words, if you haven't continued to do everything written in the Ten Commandments all of your life, then the Bible says you are under a curse. The law convicts us of sin and the law condemns us. We need to know what is right and what is wrong. Last week I brought a very cute puppy, I mean a new picture, a picture of a new puppy that we have. And uh, last week it was so cute, it was so humble, it hardly did anything wrong. Well, it's been a week now, and um, that, 
And uh, does anybody want a puppy for Christmas? I'm just asking. I don't, I don't know. But uh, it is super cute. It's a good thing that it's super cute because it pees multiple times a day. And we have to remind it, this is not what we do in our house. You know, we don't pee on the floor. No, no, no. And it bites a lot because it gets frisky. And, and we like, no, don't bite. I know that's how you want to connect with us. But no, no, no. And if you keep doing that, I'll bite you back. And it's like, what's right? What's wrong? We're reminding our dog of the law so that it knows what's okay and what's not okay. The Bible says the law was given to condemn us so that it would show us what's right and what's wrong. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Everyone who keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking it, all of it. And that's why we needed a Savior. Even if you break one law, you're guilty of all of it. I like to use this illustration of a man who's 98 years old. Let's say he's 98, he's never done anything wrong in his life ever. He never had an immoral thought. He never said anything wrong. He was perfect his entire life until one day at 98 years old, he's sitting in his rocking chair and he's on his front porch and some whippersnappers come along and they, they walk right over his petunia. And he suddenly loses it. All this perfection that he's had all these 98 years goes out the window. And he starts to ball out these whippersnappers. And he ends up beating one of them up. It reminds me of Clint Eastwood, you know, and some of his movies now that he's elderly. And he's going to take somebody out. And uh, now, if that individual, that elderly man, went to the courthouse and they said, well, sir, you're guilty. He said, well, listen, I've been perfect my entire life. How can you convict me of this? I've been per- I haven't done one thing wrong. And they say, well, sir, you ass- did you assault this young man? He said, yes, I did. Well, then you're guilty. And even if you're perfect your entire life, the Bible says if you even have one point that you've broken the law, you are guilty of breaking all of it. So the law was given to convict us, it's given to condemn us, and the law was given to remind us of the enslaving power of sin. The law reminds us that sin is potentially addictive. I would guess if I asked you today, what is that one sin that continues to hound you and tempt you, you would know immediately what it is. That the enemy tries to tighten his grip on you on that one thing over and over again. But Jesus Christ came to redeem us. He came to redeem us from the condemnation of sin. He came to redeem us from the enslaving power of sin he wanted to set us free by paying a price now we're first introduced to this concept of redemption way back in the book of leviticus and let me read from leviticus 25 it's not on the screen it said if an alien or a temporary resident among you becomes rich and one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells himself to the alien living among you or to a member of the alien's clan he retains the right of redemption After he has sold himself, one of his relatives may redeem him. Now, you see, in those days, if a rich uh, person, if you were a rich person and someone was poor and they owed you money, you could enslave that individual, that poor person. There was no bankruptcy, and so you could enslave them until they worked off their debt. But if you had a compassionate relative or friend, they could pay your price and redeem you from slavery. They could redeem you from that debt that you owed. And that was the concept of redemption. And this is what happened to us spiritually. Satan is like a rich alien who who is the prince of the world. And in our sin, in a way, we sell our souls to him. 
and we owe a debt that we cannot pay. But Jesus Christ came to earth to redeem those who were enslaved by sin. Isaiah 52, 3 says, For this is what the Lord said, You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. It was a prophecy of the coming Messiah who would redeem us. The price that we owe was a death price. He would redeem that price. He would pay that price. All the money in the world could not buy you back because you are worth more than that. Jesus redeemed us. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you by our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's often been asked, what what do you think Joseph did the day after Christmas? We say, well, we know what Mary did after Christmas. She attended to Jesus, and she nursed him, and she held the baby. What do you think Joseph did? Well, there's a Christmas drama that says that Joseph was a carpenter, and as a carpenter, he built a crib for Jesus on the second day, and he thought to himself, no son of mine is going to sleep another night in a manger. And so he built a crib, and he's pounding on the crib. And Joseph says, if they treated him like this as a baby, I wonder how they will treat him when they know he's the son of God. And then the lights dim in the drama, and the stage goes dark, and all you hear is the pounding of the hammer on a nail. How did they treat him? When they found out he was the son of God, they nailed him to the cross. The blood flowed. The blood had already been flowing from his forehead, from the long thorn briar that had pierced his brow. The blood had already been flowing from his nose, from where they had punched him and beaten him. The blood had already been flowing from his shoulders and his back, from the lashes as they ripped away his flesh. And now every time he moved on that cross and shifted his weight, the blood flowed from his hands and his feet and would flow again from his side. First Peter says, we were redeemed not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ, his death, that redeems us from the law. We are no longer convicted of sin. We are no longer under the condemnation of the law. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when I stand before God someday and the accuser wants to list all of my sins, the advocate, Jesus Christ, will step in and say, Father, we have settled our out of court. We have already paid for the price on the cross. And the judge will say, not guilty. You are free. You have been redeemed. Christ came to redeem us. Christ also came to adopt us as his children. Galatians 4 says, God sent his son that we might receive the full rights of sons. How many of you have ever adopted a child? Raise your hand if you've adopted someone. We also had some in first hour. And uh, I always respect uh, people who adopt children. Uh, Sometimes they adopt them because they don't think they can have children. And so they say, we'd like to have a family, we'd like to adopt children. Some of them, because they have other children, they say, we want to offer a better life to other children. In fact, uh, John and Anya Sanchez, after first hour at their Christmas party last night, reminded me that their best man in their wedding, uh, they have adopted a child from China, just brought him home. They just celebrated his first Christmas ever, his first gift giving ever, and his first birthday ever was yesterday, and they celebrated this. He had his first birthday cake. And I think about that, because a child is such a blessing to the family, and the family is such a blessing to the child. One day, that child will grow up, 
And maybe the child would have lived in poverty or hardship, or maybe the child was an orphan. I know this child in particular had medical concerns. And one day, can you imagine that child realizing how much that they were loved, how much had been done for them, what a cost had been paid for them, maybe saved from poverty or death, given a new identity and prosperity and self-esteem by people who love and care for him. And he will be forever indebted to parents who adopted him. But the family will be blessed as well. But friends, listen, we need to understand what our Heavenly Father has done for us. We were spiritually orphans, left to die in our sins. But God in His grace took the necessary steps to adopt us into His family. He visited the earth in the form of Christ Jesus. He paid the costly adoption price on the cross. And Galatians 4 says we now receive full rights as sons. Remember how the prodigal son went off and wasted his dad's money on wild living, and he ran away, and he spent it on wild living, and he ended up wasting all of that and ended up in a pigsty, wanting to eat the food that the pigs were eating. He ended up thinking in his mind, I'm, I'm, I just need to go back home and ask my dad. I know he won't accept me as a son, but maybe I could be a servant. And so he begins to practice his speech. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Would you be willing to make me one of your servants? But the father, this dignified Middle Eastern father, was sitting on his back porch and had been watching for his son in hopes that maybe one day this son that was lost would come home. And he, the Bible says he sees him a long way off and he takes off and he starts running in a very undignified manner. And he runs to his son and he embraces him and the son begins to sputter out a speech. And I can just imagine that the, imagine that the speech is being muffled by the fact that the father is holding the son's face next to his chest as the son's trying to say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your children. Just make me one of your hired men. And the father ignores the speech completely and says, this son of mine who was lost is now found. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Let's give him the fattened calf. Let's give him a robe and a ring symbolizing he is still my child. And friends, I want to say, no matter how far you have gone away, no matter how far or how deep you have sunk, God's grace is still deeper still. And when you come to God, he adopts you as his child. And when you're adopted, you receive a new nature through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says God sent his spirit. This is Galatians 4 again. The spirit of his son into our hearts. We have uh, four children, as you know, and all of them, when they look like when they were babies, they all look the same. But as they get a little bit older, they start to look a little bit different. Have you noticed that Jason looks a lot like his mother's side of the family? If you look at Lisa's face and Jason's face in pictures, they have a similarity. And actually, Lisa's grandmother has a very similar look. Uh, if you looked at Rebecca, uh, when she was a child in particular, uh, I remember one uh, mother coming up that had known me and knew Rebecca, a, a woman that knew me as a baby and met Rebecca as a baby, and she said, oh my goodness, I see your face. I see that little Stephen's face right in your face. And we wouldn't be surprised because that's genetics. That's the nature we pass on. But when you are born again into God's family, he places a spirit in you so that you have the power to remove temptation, the power to understand his word, the power to be a bold witness for him. And the longer you are in his family, the more you look like him. It's not just genetics. You're adopted into his family. This actually happens in adopted families. I, I won't tell you the family because um, some of you may know them, but there's a family in Lebanon that we've known for many years. The daughter was adopted from Russia. And I just saw a picture of her on Facebook the other day with all their other kids because they have other children that they've had biologically. 
And if you look at that picture, the daughter from Russia looks more like the mother than the, her actual biological children. I mean, there is a remarkable similarity between that mother and that daughter. And I just think the longer you are in God's family, the more you look like him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, we participate in the divine nature. The more mature we get in the Christian life, the more we participate in that divine nature, the more we look like him. Here's another benefit, a result of being born into God's family, is we have an intimate relationship with the Father. Verse 6 says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls Abba, Father. An old preacher, Nopal Staten, told one time about being in a Tel Aviv airport when a military dignitary came through. And the guards roped off an area and held the crowds back. And this important general came through. And as he did, everybody else was being held back. But a little toddler, about two or three years old, ran underneath the rope and passed the guards and came up to this important dignitary and began to hold up its arms and yell out to this general, Abba, Abba, Abba. And the general immediately looked down and picked up his child, and everyone knew what was happening. The word Abba means daddy. It's a term of endearment. We respect God, but we pray our Father who art in heaven. But we also enjoy an intimate relationship whereby we call him Abba, Father, Daddy. Romans 8 says it this way, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship, and by him we call Abba, Father. We are God's children. You are a child of God. You, are, you are, have a relationship with him. And then the third benefit is he gives us a rich inheritance. The Bible says in Galatians 4, you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God made you also an heir. We stand to inherit all the riches of God. It has nothing to do with our good works. It has everything to do with our relationship with him. We may not have much of the world's goods, but we are children of the king. I love this little story of Lord Mountbottom said when he was a boy, he and his cousin were out staying at the palace in London, and they looked out one day, and there were six inches of snow, and some commoners were involved in a delightful snowball fight, and they said, oh, we wanted so much to go out in the street, but they weren't allowed to associate with street urchins. But we dressed up in the oldest clothes we could find, and the two of us went out, and we got involved in that snowball fight. We had a blast until somebody threw a snowball, and it went through the window in the palace, and everybody started to run, and the guards uh, started to chase us, and my cousin and I were caught, and they also caught one of the street urchins, and they dragged us into the palace courtyard. And he said, let me go, I'm the Duke of Windsor. And my cousin said, yeah, let me go, I'm the Prince of Wales. And the guard said, ah, sure, sure you are. And then turning to the commoner, he said, and who do you think you are? And the boy said, I'm with me, buddies, let me go, I'm the Archbishop of Canterbury. That's my, that's my very bad English accent. But. Well, we may not look like much, but we are children of the king. We stand in line to inherit all the riches because we are included in the will. And the Bible says that all the riches of his grace, the riches of his glory, the riches of his goodness, and the riches of his wisdom are, in, are endowed to us. Colossians 1.9 says all the riches of God are found in Christ and you have been adopted into his family. Now, there are two brief lessons that I think we need to take home from this. And one of them is you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We need to accept it. Satan will whisper in your ear, you don't need it. But yes, you do. 
Because even if you have broken just one law, you are condemned by that law. You are under the law and you need redemption. Satan will whisper in your ear, you don't deserve it. You're not good enough. And in a sense, he's right. None of us deserve it, but that is God's grace. You've seen that sign that says he's the reason for the season again. And we remember, no, we're the reason for the season because Christ's grace, he chose us. Why not receive it? Why not walk out of the prison of this world and into the freedom in Christ? The second lesson is you've been adopted into his family, so rejoice in it. Somebody might ask you, are you saved? And you're liable to say, well, I hope so. I've lived a pretty good life. I just don't know. But that's not it at all. That's living under the law. You're under grace. And if he says you're adopted in his family, you're adopted in his family. Once you become a Christian, you can say confidently, I'm a child, not by my good merit, but I deserve the inheritance, not because of anything I've done, but because of his great love and grace. If I told you that if, if my uh, mom passed away, I'd inherit $10 million, which I won't. But if I were to, and you said, wow, that'd be impressive. You must have been a really good child. Well, no, it would only be because I'm the child of my mom. And if you receive an inheritance in your life, it's not because you were such a good child. It's because of their gifts to you not because of your goodness. And when we come before God and we receive all the riches of his kingdom, it's not because of our goodness. It's because God has included us in the will. It's because he loves us. He adopted us. 1 John 5, 11 says this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this is life in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I like the third stanza of a little town of Bethlehem goes like this how silently how silently the wondrous gift is given till God imparts to human hearts the wonders of his heaven no ear may hear his coming but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in he has redeemed us so receive it he has adopted us so rejoice in it and you can be a child of the king this is the reason that he came god we give you thanks today for your love for us thank you for your scripture that teaches us and reminds us that we have been redeemed and so god we want to accept that redemption we want to be free god we have been adopted and so we rejoice in the fact that you have made us part of your family that you have offered us that inheritance and we don't have to wonder I hope I'm saved. I hope I'm in. God, once we become your followers, once you become our Lord, once we've accepted that redemption price, we are adopted as your sons and your daughters. And so God, help us to rejoice in that inheritance. Help us to celebrate that inheritance. And God, help us to live every day with the kind of love that you have for people in this world so that we can continue to share the hope of, of Christ to, to other people. God, thank you for the gift of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.